0: everybody, this is Populist. I'm Steve Hafer, and with me, like a trusty steed, is Kirk Trutner. Hello
1: everybody, happy new year. Hope your holidays were merry and bright, as well as healthy and safe. Steve, what'd you do for the holidays?
0: Oh, things I should not have done because it forced me just to (laughs) sit back on a couch all day long the next day. Too much champagne, too much... uh, That's what the holidays are. yeah champagne whiskey and food bad combo but it was fun
1: sounds like a country music song
0: (laughs) yeah i just didn't have my pickup truck uh up, and we don't have a dog anymore so (laughs) i couldn't pull off the full country song (laughs)
1: that's that old song what happens when you play a country song backwards you get your house your dog and your truck back (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) how was yours it was, it was nice and quiet here in LA. You know, we're, we're kind of keeping things under wraps given the pandemic and that LA is now kind of a, a hot spot. So we stayed at the house and, and just had a, a lovely, lovely time with the kids and Jill and exchanged presents and did a lot of the same that you did a little bit of overindulgence. And so now with the new year, it's onto the exercise bike and doing exercises and trying to get back into a little bit better shape. Here's to a 2021 that just, Kicks ass,
0: yeah, absolutely. It was weird though. I thought because there was no Rose Parade, and then seeing the Rose Bowl not actually in the Rose Bowl when it was <laughs> shipped off to Texas, Uh, that was really odd. Also, um, there's something about watching the Rose Bowl game in Pasadena. We've talked about this before: the sunset going down and the light conditions changing. It's great. Oh, yeah, I miss it. I, just-
1: I like the one comment that said the Rose Bowl was going to be 200 miles south of Pasadena. Pasadena, Texas.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sorry, Jerry Jones. I'm sure your facility is wonderful, but not a good replacement for that game, in my humble opinion. But since uh, that was all about college football, which is funny because this... Welcome, everybody, to our first Mega Month here on Populist. What is Mega Month, you ask? Dun, dun, dun! For those of you who don't know, uh, some subjects are just a little too big to handle in one episode. So, we're going to give it a whole month. Each week, we'll tackle subtopics of this overall topic. And that's this month is College Football Month. And this first week, what is it all about, Kirk?
1: It is about the best college programs of all time.
0: That's right. So, since we're here in Bull season and championship season, we just thought it'd be appropriate to tackle this subject now. And, uh, away we go, I guess, right I'm looking forward to it it was uh, as always you always think, yeah this won't be too hard but then you start digging into it and it always becomes harder than you think as you, you just start learning more about other stuff which changes your opinions and changes your rankings and I don't know you feel that also
1: Yeah, you and I had a little bit of a discussion before we went uh, went to go record and you know you you thought much more broadly than I did I, I tended to look at Division one schools exclusively. But there's really good cases to be made for, you know, subdivision schools. Um, And I think that they may find their way into the conversation. Also, not looking at just the power conferences. Are there some other conferences around the country we can look at as well? Um, You know, as I looked at it, I'm trying to go more objective on this because subjective would be easy. You know, it would be Cal and everybody else. You know, Cal being my favorite football team. And in full disclosure, SC being your favorite college football team. But objectively, I think we can look at some things and, and use the numbers and help help sort some of these things out. So I think it's going to make for some some uh, interesting lists and some good conversation.
0: Absolutely. Well, if memory serves, uh, last time we went, you went first, so I think that puts the onus on me this time. So, without Guess further ado, does. we'll just dive into it. And number ten. My number ten is a school that has kind of fallen a little bit on hard times as of the past number of years, but it doesn't diminish where they are in the big picture of things. And that is the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Huskers. Uh, I grew up watching this team uh, and they were, they were it. They were one of the very big dominant forces in college football. And they were before I was aware also with coaches like Bob Devaney. But when I was growing up, Tom Osborne was the guy And uh, one of the most successful coaches ever. Uh, He's got an insane record, like 100 and something and six losses. uh, 100 something wins and six losses, uh, which is tremendous. Five national titles, 46 conference titles, five undefeated seasons, over 900 uh, wins, three Heisman Trophy winners, a ton of All-Americans, all that stuff. Uh, The thing about them is they used to have this huge, big program where they would have hundreds of guys on the team. And uh, they've had, uh, of their 54 All-Americans, six of them were walk-ons. They weren't even given scholarships. They walked onto the team and became All-American. That's how big and loaded they used to be. Uh, guys like Turner Gill, Dean Cooler, Trev Alberts, Grant, Grant Wistrom, Tommy Frazier, a lot of great names in this program. So that's my number 10, Nebraska Cornhuskers.
1: I think that's an excellent choice. I mean, it's an extraordinarily good choice. It is so good. It is also my number
0: 10. <laughs> uh, I couldn't figure out why you're laughing. You know, it all it makes sense. <laughs>
1: it's just like, oh, my God, how many schools are there to choose from? And we lead off picking the same schools. Uh, everything that you said, uh, you know, I, I was looking at that stretch between like 1962 and, 19, and uh, 2002. They didn't have a losing record between Devaney and then on to Osborne. One of the most dominant stretches of college football. Uh, success uh, that that uh, that we've seen—they've uh, sold out every game since 1962. I mean, like many other great midwestern programs, football is everything. You know what do they say that that on game days the Nebraska stadium is like the number four city in in all of Nebraska. I mean, it's 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 huge and it's it's life or death. But they've sold out every game since 62, which is you know coinciding with the Bob Devaney hire. And and again, moving forward as well. I agree with you, too. A little bit fallow since then. But when you look at all time, you know, conference championships, they've got 46 of them. Uh, they've been to 53 bowl games. They've had 361 players picked in the NFL draft, and they've spent 730 weeks in the AP poll. I mean, this is a program that's enjoyed a lot of success, maybe not recently. But if you're looking at the 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 breadth of college football, Nebraska's got to be in your top 10. and And for both of us, it's number 10. Yeah, yeah.
0: They're strong, and I'm glad you put them on there. Uh, I, it makes me sad when some of the traditional powers from yesterday year are going through hard times, and uh, there's they're not the only ones by any means. They're, there's at least a half a dozen others out there, uh, but that's great. Well, let's move on. Number nine. My number nine is one of those diversions out of the big power uh, programs, and that we're going all the way down into what used to be a Division One team, and then they moved up to Division Two, and they've been, uh, enjoyed great success over the past number of years, and that is North Dakota State Bison's, uh, sixteen national championships for them uh, from 1965 through 2019, thirty-six conference championships. Um, 27 years in the playoffs. Their uh, playoff record in div- in uh, Division Two was 30 and 12. They got even better when they moved up. It was 36 and two. So it's a combined of 66 14, uh, including a 22 game playoff win streak. Uh, They've over 700 wins uh, all told. Uh, they have been in some bowl games, some smaller bowls, and they have a five and one record there. So. They are no such by any means. Only three losing seasons t- since 1964, and they're the first Division One team to finish 16-0 and since Yale did it in 1894. So they're a power in their own right. Uh, I know we know them from Carson Wentz. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback came from them, uh, and their old coach uh, is now the coach of Kansas State, I believe, uh, Chris Kleeman. So uh, I think you'll be hearing more and more about them if you haven't heard them already, but North Dakota State
1: great choice and again I think you you were thinking a little bit more out of the box than I was on this uh, I again I, I you know once I started listing just the first off the top of my head the first programs I could think of I came up with 10 or 12 that were all division one so it was kind of hard to 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 look at other schools and slide them in there but you can make a case you made a good case for them uh to be on there um North Dakota state's one of those one of those programs that has had a lot of great success over the years and I'm, I'm glad you're recognizing it
0: yeah, they're uh, they're amazing. The more you read about them, you just kind of go, wow, wow, wow. All right. So who's yours? My number
1: nine team is uh, we're going to go down to the Bayou, uh, Louisiana State, LSU. Um, this is one of those schools that has had an up and down history, a long history, but an up and down history. But ever since 2000, they have been a forced in college football, the last 20 years have been very, very good uh, to LSU football. Um, it's got a great uh, history of coaches, including, you know, Nick Saban, Les Miles, uh, currently Ed Ogeron. Uh, I was going to try and do an Ed Ogeron voice, but I couldn't get my the gravel, you know, to be to be that. That's that a deep. tough one.
0: That is a tough one.
1: Um, but LSU is one of those schools that, again, it's that Midwest Southern kind of thing where football is king. Um, great fans. Um, they've had great success in bowls. They're 12th all time with wins over 800 wins. Um, they've spent 639 weeks in the AP poll. Uh, currently they've got 41 active players on NFL rosters. So when you look at them from success on the field, uh, success in moving their players along to the next level, uh, engaging the fan base. Um, and just, if you think LSU, you think good football. And I think that's just a hallmark of what this team is. So LSU is my number nine.
0: Yeah, they um, they were an honorable mention for me. Uh, everything you said is true. I just had more of a problem with their their up and down, and they do it so drastically for my taste. Even now when they are considered to be beyond an upswing, they still have their big downward spikes during that, uh, which just made them a little too inconsistent for my taste, but I love watching them play. I love their uniforms. I love their tradition. I love the, the rabidness of the fans. Um, But I think it's in a good way. It's just, they're just very impassioned. Uh, So yeah, uh, it's Bayou football. Good stuff. Let's move on. Number eight. Now the antithesis of Bayou and SEC football is my number eight. And they are one of the first power programs from a league that is not considered to be a power program. And that is the Yale bulldogs from the Ivy league and Kirk's laughing again. So we know what this means folks. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: want to just go back and forth really quickly on points right here, since we've kind of revealed who my number eight is now too.
0: So Kirk, who's your number eight,
1: It's Yale, the <laughs> Yale bulldogs,
0: Kirk, what do you like about them? I like the fact that they have 18 national championships, even though they claim 27, <laughs>
1: I like the fact that over thirteen hundred games, they have a nine a six ninety seven winning percentage.
0: That is impressive. <laughs> they have over a hundred All Americans, which is which is pretty amazing for an Ivy League school. Absolutely, uh, and and twenty eight Hall of uh, College Hall of Fame inductees, which is pretty good.
1: Yep, nine hundred wins out of those thirteen hundred games. I mean, Yale ranks in the top ten for most wins in college football history. I mean, this is a program that no, you're not going to think of them as a powerhouse right now when college football first started they were a powerhouse and they helped lay the groundwork for what the game is today you cannot not consider mm-hmm. what they did
0: it's almost tough not to mention harvard and princeton as well because those two programs had a ton of a success also especially princeton um, but yale is the cream of the crop they are part of the other big game you, you being a cal fan us guys on the West Coast always consider Cal Stanford the big game, but the original big game is Harvard-Yale. Uh, it's just not covered on TV uh, with the same audiences that Stanford-Cal gets, uh, even though it does get covered, and it is a big tradition.
1: And, you know, again, you can't look at programs without the coaching staffs as well. And when you've got Amos Alonzo Stagg, Howard Jones, Tad Jones, Carmen Caza, all of, part of the, the coaching legacy at a school, you've done pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, Walter Camp, uh, who gets the moniker of Father of American Football. I mean, so Yale, they kind of were the foundation. They were the building block for what has become modern-day football. One thing I do like is the Ivy League, gosh, when was it? It was like in in the early 80s, 82 or something, they were told that – they need to go down to division two and they all held strong together and said, no, we won't go. And then the NCAA had to change some rule that you must have stadiums that can seat at least something and which was a technicality that they were looking for. And so the Ivy league finally relented and uh, went down, but they were in the, they were in division one for a long time. Yes,
1: they were. And, you know, they've got two Heisman trophy winners. (laughs) There's a lot of schools, including my Cal bears that don't have any, (laughs) you know? So
0: yeah, I know. So I know,
1: know they've got a history and they've had some players
0: and they have some household names over the years from people in the NFL, like uh, Gary Fenzik, who was a great safety with uh, the Chicago bears and Calvin Hill, who was part of the Roger Staubach uh, Dallas Cowboy teams, uh, their lead running back, John Spagnolia, a uh, great tight end with the uh, Eagles. So they're, they're not a slouch. And I think they're very worthy of being on our, list, both of our lists. Both of our lists at number eight. Yes. <laughs> So, Steve, what's your number seven? Number seven. My number seven is a more traditional program, another power program. They're from the South, but not the Southeast Conference. They're from what used to be the Southwest Conference, then known as the Big Eight, now known as the Big 12, and that's the Texas Longhorns. Uh, great history. Another rabid fan base. Um Four national uh, championships, which is not as much as some of the schools that we'll be mentioning in this list, but it's still a nice little handful. 32 conference titles, though. That is impressive. 704 win percentage with over 922 wins and 57 bowl games. They also have, like Yale, two Heisman winners, uh, Earl Campbell and Ricky Williams, 61 All-Americans, and a lot of guys that got drafted into the NFL, over 300 of them. Um, great traditions, uh, like Bevo, their mascot, uh, smoky, the cannon, Everybody singing the eyes of Texas, uh, big Bertha, which is considered to be possibly the largest drum, you know, at least marching band drum in the world. Every game, uh, before the game, they bring out what is considered to be the largest, uh, Texas flag in the world. So a lot of pomp, a lot of circumstance, a lot of tradition, a lot of tradition on the field as well. Uh, great coaches. Uh, so that's my number seven. Texas Longhorns.
1: Nice choice. Looking at my number seven, uh, we are uh, talking about the Michigan Wolverines. We're going to stay in the Midwest. Uh, Michigan is just one of those programs. You know, I've I've been watching college football for 40, 50, 60 years. Michigan is just one of those programs that's always been around. They've always enjoyed success. It's more of a surprise when they're not successful than when they are successful. Um, they've had a bit of a challenge lately. But, you know, with all of these schools, when you say they've been a bit challenged lately, it means that they're only winning six or seven games. They're not winning, you know, nine, 10 and 11 games as well.
0: Um but that's funny because that's where our expectations have been brought by these programs and their their successes in the past that we expected of them now, which, whether that's fair or not.
1: Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, and again, you know, you look at their overall program, they've only had a few losing seasons over the course of one hundred and forty years. Um, they've won nine hundred and sixty four games over that time with a seven twenty seven winning percentage. Um, 11 national championships, 42 conference championships. They've been to 48 bowl games. They've spent 83 or 873 weeks in the AP poll with 34 weeks at number one. But here's what I think dings them. And that is, while they're still piling up victories, they can't beat the rival. They've got an eight-game losing streak to Ohio State right now, and they've only beaten them twice since 2000. Now, they still own the largest victory in the rivalry, which was 86 to nothing back in 1902. And they still lead the series 58-51, but they haven't been able to beat them lately. And I think that's one of the measuring sticks people use nationally, that Michigan may be able to go out and beat the Illinois and the Indianas and the Penn States of the world. But if they're not beating Ohio State, we all know that's not a successful season. So that kind of Take some of the luster off what they have done recently. Again, you look at them over the long run; they've had nothing but success. Um, you know, piling up lots of wins. Again, a great coaching tree. Uh, when you look at at you know all the people who have been there, whether it's Bo Schembechler, uh, whether it's you know um, God, I'm losing my mind here, Lloyd Carr. I mean, there's all kinds of great coaches that have been there as well. But with with Michigan, I love them. They need to have more success against the rivals. I love the uniforms. I love the big house. And uh, they are the only team in my top 10 that had a former president play for them with Gerald Ford back in 1934. So Michigan is my number seven.
0: Awesome choice. They are uh, one of my three favorite teams period. Uh, SC as we all know is one, but Michigan and Stanford are right there as two and three and Cal is your cow this is number four, but let's Everybody's move on. Everybody's favorite sister. <laughs> let's move on and uh, going to number six. My number six is the Michigan Wolverines. <laughs> uh, so we didn't exactly match, but we are talking back to back on this and everything you mentioned is right, but I got to say, uh, I love, the tradition about these guys also, you mentioned the uniforms, what I used to think were the coolest uniforms in college football loved them. Uh, the atmosphere of the big house is uh, definitely a bucket list item for me. I want to go there someday and see a game and like Nebraska, they sell out every game also. In fact, I, I lost the guy's name, but there was a uh, I think it was a Michigan, uh, possibly Detroit reporter who said that, uh, the the only guarantees in life are the old thing: it's you know death, taxes, and Michigan will sell out. Um, you just can't get a ticket unless you know somebody there. Um, three Heisman Trophy winners: uh, Tom Harmon, Desmond Howard, Charles Woodson—all excellent, amazing, important athletes. Uh, like you said, tons, ton of All-Americans, forty college Hall of Famers, ten NFL Hall of Famers from them guys like Tom Brady, Braylon Edwards, Anthony Carter. Rob Lido, Rick Leach, Jim Harbaugh. The current coach was quite a good quarterback for them. Steve Hutchinson, Jake Long, big offensive lineman. And the list just goes on and on. Crazy legs Hirsch. One thing I liked about them is one of their old coaches, uh, Fielding Yost. He had a team that was so dominant and so powerful that the accumulated score for that season was 555 for Michigan, zero for all their opponents. That's domination. <laughs> that is just. Pretty good. Season. You might as well, might as well not even show up. So uh, most wins in college football history, most winning seasons of any program, uh, most appearances uh, on a final AP poll, uh, being ranked on an AP poll, and that was sixty-one times. So they uh, they were almost higher for me. Um, and but it's like you said, it's that. Ohio state bugaboo that they have. Uh, they, they have problems with Notre Dame sometimes and, uh, their appearances in the bowls aren't as strong as some of the other schools. So they're stuck at number six for me, Michigan.
1: Great choice. A little bit too high, but great choice. <laughs> My number six is your number seven, the Texas longhorns. Um, uh, Texas is another one of those teams that that you're surprised when they're not good. You expect them to be good. You expect them to be dominant. They're part of one of the greatest rivalries in college football, which is you know Texas Oklahoma. Um, they've had great coaches over the years, whether it's Darrell Royal, whether it's Mac Brown. Sorry, Cal fans. <laughs> Sorry, Cal fans. Um, and they've had great players over the year. And you you, you, you you mentioned a number of them as well. Again, if we want to go by the numbers, I mean, this is a team that's got 923 wins, uh, four national championships, 30 conference championships. They've been to 57 bowl games. That's second most in, in NCAA history. Uh, they've had 347 players picked in the NFL draft, 45 of which in the first round. Uh, 743 weeks in the AP poll, 45 weeks at number one. So they've been there. They, have they've, they've been there and they've been there time and time again. Um, uh, they had a nice stretch through like 95 through 2010, 2015. Um, and then took a little bit of a dive. They're starting to come back a little bit in the last couple of years, but you know, you go back between, you know, 57 and 85, you know, a good 30 year stretch. They were dominant and they were a team that, that always was part of the conversation uh, when it came to college football. So uh, uh, you look at that bird orange, you hook him horns and you put them at number six.
0: Yeah. I used to love to watch Earl Campbell play and just the sheer physical pounding that that team would put on an opposing defense that they Campbell would just bruise and batter you all game long. It was amazing to watch. Well, I right.
1: give give me a better Heisman Trophy running back backfield than Earl Campbell and Ricky Williams.
0: Oh yeah, well, I mean, not necessarily playing together, but of all times. Well, no, I'm just uh, saying,
1: if, if you know, pick another team that's got two running backs that have won the Heisman Trophy, and I don't think they're better well, you know than what? Campbell and
0: Williams. Uh, I will tell you one in just a couple of picks from now. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and and my team, not only do they have two, they have two backups also. Anyway. Number five my number five is Texas's old rival that you just mentioned the Oklahoma Sooners uh, and <laughs> Kirk's laughing again and we all know what this means not boys quite. and girls not, not quite <laughs> uh the Oklahoma Sooners are definitely worthy of the top five they're probably worthy of being in the top four or the top three uh, it's a great program seven national championships uh, two legendary coaches in Bud Wilkinson and Barry Switzer. But then you throw in other names like Bob Stoops, Lincoln Riley, uh, I'm forgetting a couple of other names. They have a big, long lineage of coaches, uh, 50 conference titles, over 900 wins. Uh, and then household names. It's once again, it's that tradition. So you get used to seeing guys like Greg Pruitt and Billy Sims running the ball. Um, Big linemen like Tony Casillas, uh, Brian Bosworth, the Boz was uh, from uh, Oklahoma, Uh, Marcus Dupree, DeMarco Murray, Leroy Selman, Roy Williams. A lot of these great, great names. Keith Jackson, the great tight end. Uh, It was always fun to watch Oklahoma play Texas or Oklahoma State or in one of the bowl games because they were usually in a meaningful bowl game. Uh, Seven Heisman trophies. Uh, and some great traditions like this, uh, the Sooner Schooner uh, coming out pregame and uh, during the halftime as well. So that's my choice in number five, Oklahoma. Who's yours?
1: Uh, My number five, uh, we're going to stay in the Midwest, but we're going to go a little bit more north. Um, And we're going to put at number five the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. And like the Dallas Cowboys, they are America's team. And like Dallas Cowboys, people either adore them or people despise them. <laughs> either way, they have left a mark on, on college football. They've got the fourth best all-time record in NCAA history uh, with 918 wins and a 728 winning percentage. Uh, they have claimed 11 national championships, which is makes them second. Uh, as you mentioned, they have had seven Heisman Trophy winners, which puts them first. They've had 102 consensus All-Americans. Again, first, 511 NFL draft picks, making them second. Uh, and of those draft picks, 69 of which were first rounders, they've been in the AP poll 832 weeks, 98 weeks at number one. But the thing I love about Notre Dame and, and the reason they're number five, not only the success, uh, et cetera, is they have chosen to do it their way. They, they were unaffiliated for so long and just chose to play who they wanted to play and kept rivalries all across the country. So whether it's Notre Dame, Stanford, Notre Dame, SC, Notre Dame, Michigan, I mean, they they were the ones that kind of created their own path and they were very successful at it. Um, Again, terrific players have, have have rolled through the program. Um, You know, not the least of which a great movie was made about with Rudy Um, and any school any school that can make the hay it has out of touchdown. Jesus deserves to be in the number five. So Notre Dame, the fighting Irish are my
0: number five. Big, big time program for sure. Yep. Let's, let's move on to number four. My number four, which is Notre Dame's big rival and the team that's near and dear to my heart. you love them. <laughs> the USC Trojans. Or you don't. <laughs> And, uh, this is the team that I would put up against Texas's to, uh, Heisman backfield. Uh, when you look at guys like Marcus Allen, Charles white, or Mike Garrett, Reggie Bush, uh, there's a heck of a lot of talent in the backfield there. Um, are they going to pound you to death like the other guys? No, but, uh, they'll score on you for sure. And, uh, they'll make you they'll make you miss tackles. Um, 11 national championships, uh, 53 bowls with 34 wins. That's pretty impressive. Um, 39 conference titles, great coaches like Howard Jones, John McKay, John Robinson, gloomy Gus Henderson, Pete Carroll, even, uh, over 500 players drafted into the NFL by that team. Um, uh, 81 first rounders, uh, five number ones. That's pretty remarkable. Uh, Tons of household names starting with Frank Gifford and going all the way through guys like Ronnie Lott and Choi Palamalu, uh, John, uh, Sam Cunningham, Ricky Bell, even the Duke John Wayne. He played for USC as Marion Morrison. Uh, great traditions. They used to be known as Tailback U. Uh, I think that's gone by the wayside over the past, uh, decade. And they're definitely more of a quarterback school and wide receiver school now. But, um, the fight on traveler the horse the the number fifty five jersey which uh, only gets handed out to the the most special linebackers uh, a lot of tradition uh, I love them they're the West Coast uh, powerhouse for sure and have been and hopefully will be again soon the USC Trojans
1: I can absolutely see their place on the list I'm not going to say too much because uh, I actually
0: have them higher believe it or not. Oh, um, make, me, make me shame myself. Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, if he, I was actually going to lead in before I introduced them and say, here's the part where Steve begins to wonder, did Kirk leave them off the list entirely or did he put them <laughs> as high as he did? But we'll talk about SC in a little bit. My number four school, um, uh, I think Steve's already talked about as well. Um, I think you have. Have you talked about Oklahoma yet? Yes, I have. That's what I thought. Yes. Oklahoma is my number four.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: (laughs) Is there a stewardess on this flight? Um, This is one of those programs, again, that is just incredibly impressive what they have done. Their body of work over, you know, 120 years, uh, more than 120 years of of playing football. I want to say they've had maybe maybe two dozen losing seasons uh, in that time. Great coaches. Uh, they are the only football program in the NC2A with four coaches that have more than 100 wins. Benny Owen back in, in 05, Bud Wilkinson. From forty-seven to sixty-three, Barry Switzer seventy-three to eighty-eight, and Bob Stoops ninety-nine to sixteen, all had more than hundred wins at Oklahoma, and they're the only school in the NCAA that have four coaches that have gone over that that number. Um, Steve talked about all the great players, uh, the great traditions, the rivalries with with Texas, with Oklahoma State, uh, with Nebraska. Um, Oklahoma's just been a bellwether for college football in the Midwest for many many years. Um, And again, surprising when they're not successful and they've been really successful over the last 20 years as well. Uh, So that's why Oklahoma is my number four.
0: Yeah, they definitely uh, are powers for sure. Let's go to number three. My number three, which is one of my traditional nemesis. uh, It's the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, I could look for a million reasons to not include them, but I just don't see how you don't have them in your top three. Uh, they They've proved it over the years. They're always good. Damn them. Uh, <laughs> eight national championships, 41 conference titles, eight playoff appearances, um, amazing winning percentages uh, for the regular season. The ball record is just mediocre. It's, uh, it's almost at 500%. Um, which is you'd expect a little more from them. But I think it also goes to state that they're usually in very tough bowl games and new year's six bowl games and some of the big ones. So they're, they're usually not playing slouches. Uh, There's not a whole lot of gimmies in those things. Great coaches, Woody Hayes, Jim Trestle, Urban Meyer, Paul Brown, even Earl Bruce had quite a good run there at Ohio state. And uh, as you mentioned before, when we were talking about Michigan, they do the two things that you're supposed to do. And that's get to big time bowl games, play for championships and beat the heck out of Michigan. And sorry, Michigan, you got to get better at this because they're doing it well and they're doing it often. That's my number three.
1: It's a good choice. Um, And as you said, my number three is going to be very painful to talk about in glowing terms, but it is the, the Trojans of the university of Southern California fight on baby. (laughs) And that's why people hate this school. Um, it is the team you love to hate, especially on the West Coast. Although I will admit, Oregon is giving them a run. Oregon is absolutely giving them run as the team that, that you want to hate. Um, there's so many things you can say about SC. I, you know, I grew up. Just they frustrate me because the the most wins they have against any school in the pac tw- or in the in the NC two is against Cal. They've beaten them seventy. <laughs> times. But I don't feel too bad, or 71 times, I should say. I don't feel too bad because SC actually has a winning record against every school in the Pac-Twelve. Every school. They've got a winning record against every school in the Mountain West. They've got a winning record against every school in the Big Ten. I mean, that's impressive. I will say though, one of the things Steve and I talked about um early on was was, you know, the objective versus subjective. And and the objective for me is is the way I've kind of Use numbers to rank my teams. And some of the categories we've been talking about, you know, national championships, conference championships, uh, draft picks, Heisman winners, et cetera. There's there's 10 very distinct categories that we look at. And SC is the only one that is in the top 10 of all of these categories. You know, they're first in NFL draft picks, they're fourth in Heisman winners, sixth in AP poll, ninth uh, wins all time, et cetera, et cetera. They've been a program of consistency for years. It drives me crazy. I don't know why my cow Bears can't beat them, but I do respect them, and um, yeah, that's why SC ah, is my number three.
0: <laughs> Sorry,
1: and, don't- and, and it's funny too because when you're talking about about um, bowl records. SC's got a four sixty-two, or I mean six forty-two um, winning percentage in the bowls, thirty-four and nineteen. They're number they're seventh, but if you look at a lot of the other schools. That's their, that's their, you know, these big time schools, these big name schools, that's their Achilles heel. Their bowl records are not that good. Um, you know, I was looking at, again, just just some larger numbers here. You know, for a, a bowl record, Oklahoma's 23rd, Ohio State's 48th, Notre Dame's 49th, Michigan's 64th. I mean, for whatever reason, I think you're right. I think you get into tougher games. And it's harder to win those games, but that's just credit to SC as well because a lot of those bowl victories have been Rose Bowl victories, and those aren't easy games.
0: Yeah, and there was a long history of big-time Michigan and Ohio State programs coming in and then USC pulling out the victory, uh, which would frustrate the Big Ten to no end. But, yeah, good for you, Kirk. Good for you.
1: (laughs) I need to go take
0: a shower. Don't feel bad about the Cal losses because also if I'm not mistaken USC has also played Cal more than anybody else in uh, I, I think so the yeah. Pac-12 yeah uh with yeah. Stanford and UCLA being right after Well but
1: I got to say you're doing the research for all this you know it has helped me appreciate what they have accomplished over the years and and again looking at these records against other conferences I mean to be completely you know dominating of the Big 10 of the Mountain West of the MAC of the you know the big draw, I mean it's it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, let's move on. Number two, my number two is another uh, team that pains me to say, but you got to give credit where credit due, and that's USC's biggest rival of them all, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, who you mentioned earlier. You you listed off most of the stats. Um, they are infuriating. <laughs> they're they're always there. They're almost never so bad that it's going to be a gimme win. I can't, with the exception of maybe one year, maybe two years, I can't remember USC rolling to the game feeling completely confident that they were the big-time favorites in that game. It's You know it's going to be a big fight, and I think most of Notre Dame's opponents feel that. They also have a lot of regular rivals, too, when you look at both Michigan schools, Michigan and Michigan State, big-time rivals for them. And then they've since developed rivals rivalries with texas and with some of the uh, sec teams having faced them with so many times in the uh, cotton bowl and the orange bowl and the sugar bowl um it's the tradition with them is unmistakable you talked about uh, touchdown jesus there's the the painting of the helmets which used to be done by the student managers is now done by a company but they're still painted before every game there's uh the 1812 overture that the band plays between the third and the fourth quarters um, there's the tradition of the players slapping that sign that says play like a champion today as they're going from the locker room out onto the field. There's the, the leprechaun doing push-ups after scores. Uh, there's just a ton of tradition, uh, and you get swept up swept up swept in it. Seven Heisman trophies, which I think you mentioned, uh, they finished ranked in the AP poll 55 times at the end of the season, which is impressive. Um, great coaches, Frank Leahy, Newt Rockney, Eric Parsegan, Lou Holtz. Even Dan Devine and Brian Kelly, uh, they've all upheld that winning tradition in Notre Dame. Guys like Joe Montana, George Gipp, Rocket Ishmael, Paul Hornig, uh, Alan Page, Joe thiesman Big lineage, big time program. They're my number two.
1: I'm proud of you, too. <laughs> Thank you. That's got to be tough. Put the whiskey down. I need a hug. <laughs> Free
0: hugs. <laughs> Who's your number two?
1: My number two is a school you've already talked about. You hit on a lot of the big points. It is the Ohio State University, oh, the Ohio State Buckeyes.
0: Why did you have to say it that way? Because <laughs> I knew I'd get that reaction,
1: um, and the reaction of probably everybody out in the audience. Sorry, everybody. Um, you know, Ohio State is synonymous with college football success. I can't remember a time when Ohio State was was down, let alone bad. They've always been good they've quite often been great. And it's been, it's been fun to watch them. I, you know, I, I actually like Ohio state. I usually root for them against Michigan. Um, uh, they became a favorite team of mine back in you know, when Woody Hayes was coaching and that crazy old man ran on the field and you know, started slugging players, you go, all right, that's a unique school. They've taken a unique approach. Um, they, uh, in using those metrics we talked about before those different categories while they are 48th in bowl records you know they have a actually a losing percentage uh losing winning percentage in in bowl games 25 and 26 although that could change in just a couple days if they win the national championship uh but when you look at all the other categories they're either first through sixth in all of them, except ninth in number of bowl games they've gone to. They're first in the weeks in the AP poll. They're first in Heisman Trophy winners. They are uh, second in consensus All-Americans, first in all-time record with a 731 winning percentage, second in all-time wins. I mean, they are a program that has defined excellence for years and years and years. Not surprising with coaches like Paul Brown, Woody Hayes, Urban Meyer. Ryan Day is off to a great start at the school after his first couple of years. And again, in that wonderful irony of college football, they have a winning record against everybody in the big 10 except Michigan. But Ohio state is, is again, one of those schools synonymous with success. Um, You always know that you're going to get a quality team uh, out of Ohio state. And that is why
0: they are my number two. Let's recap though. Our 10 to two. What did you have from 10 to two Kirk? From 10, uh, number 10 were the
1: Nebraska Cornhuskers. LSU Tigers were number nine. Uh, Number eight were the Yale Bulldogs. The Michigan Wolverines came in at number seven. The Longhorns of Texas were number six. The Fighting Irish of Notre Dame was five. The Oklahoma Sooners were number four. The Trojans of the University of Southern California were number three. And the Buckeyes of the Ohio State University were number two.
0: And I had also number 10, Nebraska, like yourself. Number 9, I went to the Division 3 and Division 2 school, North Dakota State Bisons. Number 8, I had Yale, as you did. Number 7 was the Texas Longhorns. Michigan Wolverines at number 6. Oklahoma Sooners at 5. Number 4 is USC. Number 3, Ohio State. Notre Dame was my number 2. And that brings us to... Number 1. My number 1, which I have a feeling is yours also, and it's... Like, how can you not put them? It's the Alabama Crimson Tide. Roll Tide. Yeah, it'd almost be easy to put them on just for their accomplishments of their of the past 10 to 15 years. But you just keep looking back farther and farther and farther, and it just doesn't stop. It is literally a Crimson Tide. It just keeps coming at you. Yes, they have had their down periods, and when they were down, sometimes they were bad. Uh, really bad. So much so that... Many articles are written about it going, What's wrong with Alabama? Will they ever return to greatness? And yes, sir, Bob, they did return to greatness and they did it in a big way. Thank you, Nick Saban. 17 national championships, 32 conference titles, fourth all time in the final AP poll rankings. And they appeared there 57 times, 71 bowl games. <laughs> Yikes. With
2: over That's pretty a pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, with like a, I think it's a 618 winning percentage, something like that. It's, it's, it's up there. Um, six playoff appearances with a seven and three record. Uh, they set an NCAA record with uh 24 10 plus game win streaks, uh, 20 seasons that they've had with a 10 and 0 start, and then they either tied or lost something, uh, you know, in one of their last games of the bowl game. Two Heisman trophies is all, though, which is surprising, but they're good ones. Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry, who's then just turning it up in the NFL right now. Uh, a ton of all Americans, I'll leave some room for you to talk because I know you're about to talk about them also, but you just look at the the list of names. Uh, the late Derek Thomas, who people forgot to forget about from the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, amazing, oh, yeah. amazing linebacker. Cornelius Bennett, Ozzie Newsome, EJ Jr., John Hanna, the epitome of an offensive pulling guard from the, the Patriots. Uh, Bobby Humphreys, Sean Alexander, Bart Starr, Ken Stabler. Some great, great names to come through that. I always forget. Star came out of Bama. Yeah, Joe Namath. You know all these guys coming yeah. through. So that's my number one. I think there are a lot of people's number one. I have a feeling they're your number one, but I won't speak for you. What is? <laughs> yes, they are uh, number
1: one. You covered a lot of the big points. Uh, you talked about the the twenty four winning streaks of ten games or more. Um, twenty seasons with a ten and zero start. Um, they've got thirty five seasons with ten wins or more. 10 undefeated seasons, nine of which were perfect. Um, They've hold a winning record against every current and former SEC school. And just to cement the whole thing, they're in the national championship game again in 2021. I mean, it's it's Alabama and then it's the rest of the field in in a lot of ways.
0: Surprise, (laughs) they're back in the championship game.
1: They're the gold standard and they have been for a number of years. I mean, you look at a stretch between You know, um, 1904 and 1947, 1950, they didn't have a losing record. Then you start up again in 58 and go to 83 again, no losing record. And it's not just the on the field stuff. It's the off the field, the fans in Alabama and people I know who are Alabama fans are avid. I remember going to Alabama. We road tripped from Nashville down, down to, um, Ha, ah, name of the town's escaping me. But as soon as we hit the state line, the Alabama A was on every car in every window. On you know, you you couldn't get away from it. People wearing t-shirts. I mean, it it just it means so much to them. You know, what's the old phrase? There's two sports in Texas or Alabama, there's football and spring football. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's what that's what this program means. And the fact that that Saban has done what he's done and just kept it at such a high level. You know, since he, he started there, you know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, it, it's pretty amazing. And he's really just standing on the shoulders of giants at this point in time as well. So, yeah, Alabama, easy choice for me at number one.
0: Well, um, those are great choices. Uh, we already mentioned some schools that kind of made our honorable mentions. We talked about Penn State and uh, Harvard and Princeton and uh, LSU for me. Who are some of your other honorable mentions?
1: Um, Georgia. Georgia was right up there. Um, I know a lot of people would clamor about Clemson, but you know, give me some, give me a track record. Don't give me the last 15 years. You know, don't give me just Dabo Sweeney's yeah. time there. Well, um,
0: yeah.
1: you know, and, and, you know, the same can be true about Oregon, you know, Washington with the Don James years, you know, again, us being on the West coast, a little bit more familiar with those. Uh, but I need track records. I need longevity. And I think that's what all the schools that you and I both mentioned are. What about you who missed the list for you?
0: Florida State and Miami uh, and Clemson all just missed because I was just looking for just a little more. They, they had their really hot streaks there for a while. Uh, BYU made my honorable mention just because they've been very strong for a long time. Um, Army, for some of their early early years, uh, they were one of the forces, believe it or not. And then uh, Mountain Union, which I mentioned, I think, before the Division three school, uh, uh, quite a power back then. So those are mine well that does it for us in the first half here Uh, we're going to take a small break and we're going to come back with the guest list and our guest uh, which will help talk about all things power programs in college football so uh, hang on we'll be right back Hey, we're back and we're ready for today's guest list. The guest list. Joining us is ESPN college football writer, David Hale. David is a graduate of Syracuse University and reported on the Philadelphia Phillies before joining ESPN. He has covered college football since 2005, including the 2013, 16, and 18 national championship teams. And unlike us... Uh, he can boast that he shared an elevator ride once with Nick Saban, which I think is pretty darn cool, personally.
2: Survive, and I survived to tell the story, so it's all it's
0: good. <laughs> yeah, there might be a little peril on that, depending what mood coach is in. Um, yeah, before so the game, thanks or after for joining the game. us,
2: <laughs> this was actually just in a random off-season summer, so I can't. Uh, he was still a little, uh, a little ordinary, but uh, other than that, no, he had no, no murderous intent, at least. So that's good.
0: Yeah, I think there's a few uh, coaches that have that moniker that just kind of follows them around. So, <laughs> well, you're live here to tell the tale. We're happy for that. And you've got the insider's perspective. This is what you've been uh, writing about and living and breathing for many years now. Um, in your mind, what makes a program an all-time great?
2: Hmm. So... I, there's a lot to sort of unpack, and, and I think the joys of doing lists like this are always that, that it is inherently a little bit subjective. Um, I think when you talk about the early days of college football and sort of uh, like you ask anybody in in Indiana who's the greatest team of all time, it's it's uh, Notre Dame. Nobody's going to argue about that. Uh, but Notre Dame's last 25 years have not been so great, including <laughs> uh, just the past uh, – uh, last week or so when they lose to, uh, to Alabama in a playoff game. But you know certainly you look at the era of Notre Dame from the you know, mid to late 40s and early 50s. I mean, that's probably as good a run as anybody's had in college football. So um, there's probably not a team with more history, with more of a brand name than Notre Dame. But I uh, wouldn't exactly call modern-day Notre Dame. A great football program. Alabama has had its ebbs and flows. I mean, uh, Bear Bryant, the Bear Bryant era at Alabama, is sort of the, I think, default answer of like, what's the greatest era of college football all the time of all time? And then you kind of get uh, the current day Nick Saban version of Alabama, which is, uh, I think, hard to beat. Now we talk about this with sports a lot, not just football, but the way that that athletes have gotten bigger and faster and stronger and the amount of money and time and analytics and all the stuff that goes into it. Um, I think it's harder to be an athlete and to be successful today than it has ever been. Um, mm-hmm. So I it's sort of like saying like, you know, what would, what would, how many home runs would Bay Ruth hit today? I, I don't know the answer to that. It's less than what he would have hit or what he actually did hit in the 1920s and thirties. So um, I, I tend to give, I think some people kind of would refer to it as recency bias. I think in a lot of these cases, I tend to give a little more credit to the programs who are doing it now at this time when things are just so ultra competitive.
0: It's almost an impossible task to try to compare yesteryear with today with um, all the different uh, demands, but the specialized training, different rules, so forth. Um, do you feel that since it is so impossible to have maintained greatness from way back when, at the turn of the century, and carried it all the way through today... That uh, you just kind of look for those nice, big, long runs, like you said, Bear Bryant of of, uh, yesteryear, Alabama or Nick Saban today or Notre Dame during their heyday. And I guess that's kind of what you have to do is just look for those runs and then compare them as best as you can as far as who's great, who deserves to be on the list and so forth.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a funny thing because college football, even more than normal, you know, professional sports there's such a, uh, a turnover, right? I mean, your players, your roster is changing every year, but I mean, even the best players are only there three years. So um, for a, a team to maintain consistency over time, I think is, A, clearly um, uh, a sign of a good coach who does that. So that's true of certainly of Nick Saban and what they've done at Alabama to, to continually get up and be playing at the highest possible level, not just for... A year or two, but for more than a decade now, that's really hard to do in a sport like college football. Um, then you have your sort of one-offs of just all-time greats, and um, or you have your teams that are trending up like Clemson now. Clemson was had a championship in, in 1981, and then we didn't see a whole lot of Clemson again for a long time, and now they're one of the best teams in the country. Um, and, and the flip side of that is equally interesting because you have a lot of programs. Nebraska is probably the one that comes to mind easily. Texas, of course, is another one that have a very rich history. But Nebraska is probably the most interesting because the history is very rich. A long, long, long era of success. Certainly a name like Tom Osborne that um, dominated the, the college football landscape for years for decades. And they're not very good anymore. And not only are they not very good, but unlike a place like Texas or Michigan, where you can sort of see a pathway to them being good again, it's just the world of college football has changed to where being good at Nebraska is a much more difficult job today than it was when Tom Osborne was there. And they were winning national championships in 94, 95. So the, the, the idea of like a great program, Nebraska is a great Program the history at Nebraska is great, and their fan base expects that history to be continued. That's why you've seen coaches like Bo Pelini and Frank Solich fired from there after winning nine or ten games in a year. Um, but world's a different place now, and Nebraska to get back to that point, I'm not even sure if it's possible uh, for any sort of extended stretch of time.
1: You know, it, it's funny you say, because it, it, as soon as we started that, that part of the conversation, Nebraska was the first team that came to my mind as the team that I grew up with that has not had a whole lot of success in the last 20 years. Conversely, you know, I've gotten nieces and nephews, the next generation who think schools like a Miami or a Florida state or a Florida, mm-hmm. you know, are these, these great programs, but they didn't enjoy a whole lot of success until the last 20 to 30 years as well. So it really does create a dichotomy when you want to look at it. And when we talk about the kind of lists we're putting together, you know, what kind of criteria do you use? Is it, is it longevity? Is it, is it a, you know, a program, you know, you, you look at a program like Yale, for instance, you know, they're, they're one of those teams that have been around obviously forever. They dominated the Ivy league. They've got a ton of national championships way back in the day. You know, so, you know, I, I look at them as, as an important part of college football, but are they top 10? You know, that's what we're debating right now.
2: Right, and I mean, there's there's a lot of facets to that. So Florida State's a very interesting. I'm glad you brought it up because Florida State, until like the mid to late '50s, was a women's college. Like, not only were they not a football school, right. they weren't even a men's school. Well, so, that's why they
1: weren't there very good. I mean,
2: no, that's could, right. they did not perform. I mean, they still finished third in the ACC, but still, that's you know, um, no. They, and and you know, Florida State's down again right now. I did a, a rather long uh, sort of investigative feature story uh, this year on Florida State, and it really I thought a lot of what I found was that maintaining success over a long period of time in college football is about so much more than good players or coaches. You've got to have this infrastructure built where uh, particularly these days you're talking about uh, is TV revenue maximized, Um, is merchandising revenue maximized to where you can fund these programs that are spending $150, $200 million a year on athletics but you've got to have the university president. In some cases, uh, uh, the the coach at Marshall uh, was fired recently in part because the governor of West Virginia wanted him fired. Like that's the kind of stuff you don't hear, you know, the Patriots talking about Bill Belichick that way. Um, And you've got to have the academic side of things have to be uh, held up to a certain standard. Um, We've seen, you know, certainly SMU was a team that had a great run in the early uh, eighties. And then it turns out that they had been paying players and cheating and went on, what's called the death penalty in college football where they were just shut down the program for years. I mean, it is the the barometer for consistent success in college sports is different than in pro sports by a mile. And so there's really not um, this history anywhere where it's, nobody has a downturn somewhere. Everybody does it eventually and Florida state and to some degree, Miami have certainly been through it. Texas is going through it now. So it's fascinating. But then, you know, the flip side, I look at a school like Mount Union's one that I think we talked about before the show that um, they've had, I think three coaches since 1962 and they've won. What? 20 national championships at the D three level. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it, Mount Union would go out and get their doors blown off by Kansas if they were playing them so it's hard to kind of count that at the same level but boy i mean how do you how do you discount literally 60 years of consistency at at a program d1 or d3 however you want to look at it so um you know like you said a lot of it comes down to exactly that what 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 do you want to prioritize when you're putting these things in a ranking order because the, the greatest uh, Nebraska teams that 94-95 era of Nebraska is tremendous, but it's been 20 years since we've had to think of them as super relevant. And Mountain Union is is never going to beat even a low-level Division I team, but 60 years of relevance in, in their own league. Um, or a team like, you know, Clemson or FSU that is a little bit more modern in terms of their success versus a Yale or a Harvard or a Princeton Princeton that, that's done it, um, you know, in the 40s and 50s.
1: Yeah. yeah it's, as you put your list together, I, I was I was looking at this as well. Steve and I were talking about this before we came on. Is in doing a research for this, I found that that the list kind of got broken down into two camps. One was the subjective, and people would look at it and go, "Well, I think you know Notre Dame belongs here, or I think Ohio State belongs here, or I think Texas belongs there," and then you get a lot of lists that try and put criteria to the listing process uh the one i saw on espn you know divided it down and said okay we're going to give 20 percent weight to how many national championships you've won and 15 percent to your winning percentage and really tried to to quantify the data to help to create the list where do you fall on how to do this is it a little bit of both is it one over the other um i think what steve and i are trying to do is going to be a little bit more subjective but in terms of writing for, for college football, and, and you know, you, you put this out there, where would you tend to fall?
0: And how much does something like longevity figure into it?
2: Right. Or sustainability. Uh, here's, I, here's one thing I will tell you that is, is, I think, should be a part of this conversation that might not immediately pop into your mind, and that is fan base. And the reason I say that is a couple of things. One the diehard fans of a program tend to tell you about their success over time too. So when we at ESPN run metrics about which teams move the needle, who reads a story for which teams and which are the ones that that really drive the focus. I mean, you you won't be surprised to learn that Alabama and Ohio state and uh, Texas and schools like that are way up the list. But again, Nebraska is always in our top five, always. And Nebraska has not been good. What that tells me is Nebraska has bought, has built something there that good or bad year to year, there is a fan base that is engaged with your football program and that has to matter for something. And the other part of it is, unlike maybe almost any other sport, including college other college sports, college football is so much about the experience of being on a campus with other fans, the tailgating, the pageantry, the bands, uh, the, the going back to your the college bars that you used to uh, have a few too many at when you were in school and you're back there again with your never. kids on homecoming. Never like Yeah, no, right. Never, never <laughs> happened to us, I'm saying. But I've heard <laughs> other people have done this. Um, but I think that's such a part of what the game is all about, too. And I think you saw a little bit of that this year, too, when there was not fans at the games. I mean, uh, yeah, we, we watch football games happen on a, in a stadium, on a field, wearing the same jerseys. But the experience wasn't the same because there weren't fans there. So to me, um, I, that is a criteria that, that I would not necessarily – you know, as you sit down, you think, what's what's important, what's not? That's not one I probably would have popped into my head immediately, but the more I thought about it, I thought, you really cannot discount what the fans mean to a college football program. So, um, yeah, I think longevity has to matter. Yeah, I think winning has to matter. Um, the big names that have come through there have to matter. And I'm sure there are some programs that fit those categories that don't necessarily have that tried and true 100,000 fans at every game uh, uh, history. But to me, the fa- the schools that have 100,000 fans at every game pretty much have a history of those things. It's almost a shorthand way of measuring who has done all of those other things well.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, that's one of the topics I think we're going to talk about a little bit later on is the game day experience. And I think that's, you know, Steve, you and I were talking about that as, as you know, it's part of the ritual. The game is is a lot of fun, but it's everything you do before, everything you do after. It's the whole day. It's the game day experience and uh you know that's one of the things i want to try and do is is get out there and experience more i'm familiar with west coast football but but i'd love to get back to the you know sec uh even the ivy league and experience some of those
0: yeah the the atmosphere should play a part uh absolutely and um I know on my bucket list, I, I do want to get back to the big house and see a, a home Michigan game. I do want to see a Notre Dame game. I do want to go to death Valley. There are definitely things I want to, you know, go there and experience. I think that'd be a, a blast. Uh, the LSU crowd, uh, I've heard stories from many friends who have gone to them and they say it's unlike uh, a lot of things in the country. So yeah. Um, it's, it's weird how, you know, there's, it, it's tough to avoid the regional bias also when, uh, talking about greatest teams ever. You know, I think USC does rise above that because of some of their John McKay years and uh, Howard Jones and John Robinson, Pete Carroll, but uh, it's tough for some of the other schools, maybe outside of Texas and Oklahoma, if you want to call them West teams uh, to really get that same notoriety. Uh, but then there's also less schools out there too. So it's a numbers game as well. Um
1: it also doesn't help that you know most games on the West Coast start so late that you don't get the eyeballs on them back east.
0: Yes, and I don't know if the the same passion. Uh, no, granted USC's fan base can get uh, a little insane in not so great ways, but um, you know uh, the passion may not be quite the same also as it is back east as well. Um, so, what are some of the programs that you see as? the obvious choices we talked about Alabama, of course, um, other, other than that in Notre Dame, what do you see some of, uh, some of the big, the big hitters?
2: Well, I think you've got to start in the sec, which is essentially football central in college football. I mean, when you, it's funny, I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up outside of Philadelphia. So my understanding of football was largely Penn state and not much else. You know, no, there was a lot, Penn, a lot of Penn state fans and a lot of North Notre Dame fans in the Northeast, but mostly it's an NFL area. Um, uh, but my first job was covering University of Georgia, and uh, I remember walking into my first UGA football game and was just like, "Oh my God, this is this is what SEC football is." It was just you have no concept of how big it is there, and and the everything that goes into it. And then you realize like, "Oh well, when you're in the SEC, it's not football anymore. You're talking about it's religion that you're talking about. There is uh, it is a lifestyle, not a hobby." Um, So, you know, you could pretty much throw a dart at the SEC standings and say that team, wherever that dart lands, warrants real consideration in this. So you look at a team, for example, Texas A&M is one that I'll bring up. And uh, they spent $75 million to hire my buddy Jimbo Fisher as their head coach. And uh, that program hasn't really won at all or hasn't won big in my lifetime Um, and, and really almost ever. They've always been a little brother to Texas. In their own state. And yet that crowd, that fan base, the university, the expectations are so immense that, uh, of course, they belong in this conversation. So have they won? No. But uh, boy, <laughs> how, how do you separate the college football experience at A&M from pretty much anywhere else? So that's what the SEC is all about is Mississippi State. Uh, a a name that pops into your head for something like this right away? No, but go sit in that stadium and listen to 65,000 cowbells ringing in your ears during a game. And you realize, well, I guess they care a whole lot about college football down here too. So the SEC to me is just ground zero for all of this. And I think when you talk about yeah LSU, I've never been to a place that is quite like LSU for a football game. Um, Georgia, I've spent a lot of time and love that they're Jordan Hare and, and Auburn and the history at Auburn and the hidden rivalry between Auburn and Alabama is, is fantastic. Um, so, you know, Florida obviously is in that conversation too. Um, it's just in the SEC, I know that it's sort of become a little bit of a running joke of their, their advertising tagline that it just means more, but, uh, for folks in the SEC country, it, it absolutely does.
0: Yeah. And, uh, Hopefully, one of these days, Tennessee will get back up to where they belong. Uh, because Historically, they were great. Uh, they've had many, many wonderful decades. And, yeah, I, I feel for those fans right now. Uh, I, I know it's rough. Uh, Michigan, too. Um, but going going through this,
1: just this last two minutes has made me realize just how much I missed college football as a whole this yeah, last year. With the fans. You know, you know the yeah. games were great, but it is the environment and the fans. And I'm sure – You know, to to kind of branch it out a little bit, somebody was talking about the Golden State Warriors in basketball. And they said that was a team that played without any energy in the first couple games back this year. And one of the theories was that's because they didn't play in the bubble last year. They weren't Mm -hmm. used to the fact there was no energy. There was no fan participation. And I think that had a lot to do with what we maybe saw on the field this year in college football.
2: It's funny because, um, you know, uh, the ratings for sports in general have been down this year uh, since sports kind of came back from the pandemic. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But I I remember when, when, you know, college football is such a big part of my life. And I remember when it was finally announced that the games are going to be played and the season was starting and everybody was like, oh, this is going to be kind of a return to normalcy for us to actually get college football. And I watched the first couple of games and to me, it wasn't a return to normalcy. It was like being beaten over the head with this idea that like, this is so abnormal. This feels so strange and so different. Um, and that's, you realize like, boy, I mean, look, obviously you can't have the sport without the coaches and the players and the field and the officials and all of that stuff. But the ancillary things like that are just so critical to our appreciation of the event itself. Um, it's, it's impossible to separate it and still have the same product.
0: Yeah. It brings on a whole different meaning. Uh, I went to school at university Pacific for my first two years which is not known for football for sure and doesn't even have a program anymore. Uh, Pete Carroll played there uh, as a player, uh, as did a couple of the guys who went pro, but they're more known for Amos Alonzo Stagg, (laughs) their famous coach from way back when. So I had seen some Stanford games back when they had their small stadium, and it was a nice atmosphere, but it wasn't until I moved to LA and walked into the Coliseum for the first time when it was full and rocking, or went to the Rose Bowl when it was full and those atmospheres, and the difference was so palpable and so extreme and so wonderful that that's why I want to go back east and see some of these other uh, programs and down in the deep south and in Texas I think it'd be wonderful all right well we've picked your brain a lot so now if you had your list and you had to assign people onto it who would be on your list and can you do it uh, going in reverse order from 10 to 1
2: I can so uh, first of all this was really really difficult uh and I Uh, If you ask me again in another 20 minutes, I'll have probably changed my list a little bit. Uh, And my number 10 (laughs) is, I'm I'm cheating just a tiny bit on my number 10 because I can't really separate them here because I think they just, it's like uh, chocolate and peanut butter. They go so well together. Number 10 is Army and Navy for me because uh, A, it includes the history of of those two programs. But B, if there is one college football event that every single college football fan should ever go to, it is an Army-Navy game. Um, there is no better definition, true definition of historic amateur football than army Navy. So that's number 10 for me. Uh, number nine, I had LSU again, I can't get away from the stadium environment. LSU for me, uh, number eight, Miami, just because I think they redefined what football was in the nineties. Um, the great Miami rivalries over the years are all, everybody hates Miami, which I think makes them great. Um,
0: so you're not talking about Miami of Ohio. I take it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Number seven, I I have Texas. Um, Number six, I have Penn State. Number five, USC. Number four, number three and number four. I'm going to this is just maybe just flip it for anybody who's reading it, depending on what state or listening to this, depending on what state they're in, because I don't want them to get mad at me. I have number four is Michigan and number three is Ohio State. Flip flop them for the audience listening in Michigan, though, because I don't want to I don't want to create problems there. (laughs) Uh, Number two, I have Notre Dame and number one, I have Alabama.
1: Awesome. I actually match you on a couple of most, we have most of the same teams just in, in different order. Um, you know, one of the things Steve and I were talking about is, uh, you know, you brought up army and Navy. I'd love to have a rivalries uh, episode of, of this. Cause I think there's just so many great ones out there,
2: but thank you. That's a great list. I, I'm with you on the rivalries. It is. Uh, I think the, the great thing about college sports rivalries, unlike professional sports rivalries is like, I, I'm an Eagles fan and I hate the, Cowboys and I hate the Giants and I hate the washington football teamers uh and i of course have some friends who are fans of those teams but i'm not like surrounded by teams of by by fans of my rival uh but if you're a clemson fan you probably live down the street or next door to a south carolina fan and miami and florida state it's the same thing and how many uh husbands and wives where one went to michigan and one went to ohio state that's that is the great great part about college football and uh and rivalries absolutely are at the heart of what makes the sport great
0: Well, I think we have something to look forward to, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll do it. We will for sure do it. Well, David, thank you for your uh, expertise and your uh, insight onto uh, what makes uh, one of the college football programs truly one of the greatest, and uh, we appreciate your time here. And uh, we are going to see you again on next week's episode. So uh, folks, tune in and hear more of what uh, David has to say as we discuss best all-time head coaches for college football. So that's it. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. We'll see you next time.
1: Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.
0: All right. Well, that was great. Uh, It was good talking uh, the list and all things college power programs with David. And that brings us into our next segment, which is the populist, the populist, the populist is the list that's chosen by you, our listeners, as you vote on our website. And uh, we didn't have the most, people who voted uh, ever, but we were close. It was a decent turnout. And we only had one tie this time, which is nice a nice change for the populist. So you, the listeners, have uh, voted for your all-time best college power programs at number 10, the Michigan Wolverines. Number nine was the only tie, and that was Texas Longhorns and the LSU Tigers. Number eight was Clemson. Number seven, Florida State. Number six, Penn State, the three programs we were just talking about that didn't quite make our list. Number five was the USC Trojans. Number four, Oklahoma Sooners. Number three, Ohio State Buckeyes. Number two, Alabama, which left number one, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, America's team. Interesting little switch. There was only yeah one uh, only one vote difference though between uh, Notre Dame and Alabama, uh, so it was close. Nice job listeners. That's a, that's a good list. Uh, very compelling and, uh, keep on voting. We appreciate it when you do pretty close to ours too. Absolutely. But keep on voting. We appreciate it when you do. It makes the show that much better. Uh, I like the populist. I like hearing what the listeners have to say. Oh yeah. But now that brings us to another one of our segments, which is becoming a, uh, a favorite of ours. And that is the A list where Kirk and I both pick, uh, Two positive people or positive groups of people that are doing nice things in the world because gosh knows we could always use a little more positive news. Um, My A-lister this week is a gentleman by the name of Keith Walker of Atlanta, Georgia. He's a homeless man and he risked his life to rescue several dogs and cats from a fire in an animal shelter in December. Uh, He rushed inside the W Underdog shelter after a fire broke out on December 18th. The fire officials rushed to it and they said a homeless man rushed to the scene and helped bring all the animals out to safety. Uh, the shelter said tonight we want to thank our guardian angels, the homeless man that ran into our burning house and rescued our animals. Our animals are safe. And thanks to the incredible response from this, uh, this gentleman, everyone is settled and safe, warm, and secure. Uh, the facility often provides food and shelter to Walker walk Keith Walker's own dog. Uh, the dog's name is Bravo. Um, Keith Walker told CNN that he was nervous to run into the uh, burning building, but he knew that he had to, to save the trapped animals. He said, I was really scared to go in there with all that smoke, but God put me in, uh, put me there to save those animals. If you love a dog, you can love anyone in the world. My dog is my best friend and I wouldn't be here without him. So I knew I had to save all those other dogs. Uh, The shelter was destroyed, but all the animals were saved and taken to a new facility. So kudos to Mr. Keith Walker of Atlanta.
1: We are uh, of the same mind for our A-listers, because I'm going to talk about somebody who works with a uh, pet rescue as well. Uh, This is 78-year-old Selwyn Nutley, uh, who lives in Australia, um, in in the Queensland area, the Highlands area. Uh, In 2020, Mr. Nutley, 78 years old. Collected more than 185,000 cans and bottles to exchange them for cash to donate to the CQ Pet Rescue, raising nearly $20,000 uh, for the pet rescue. Um, he has been celebrated as the Emerald Citizen of the Year, carried the Commonwealth Games torch in 2018. He's a grandfather of 11 with four great-grandchildren uh, and says, I just want to keep doing this. Um, the the treasurer of the pet rescue said they're the only rescue in the central highlands and they rely heavily on fundraising and these donations just came out of the blue and were a godsend for them as well mr nutley is going to continue to collect hmm. cans and bottles through 2021 so the the pet rescue has has got some some wonderful money coming in and uh these wonderful little animals will get taken care of so kudos to uh someone nutley uh my a-lister
0: that's a good choice too so yeah we were definitely were of the same mind but i like it when people help the animals absolutely Got to tell you. absolutely. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, We had a lot of fun talking about the college football power programs. Uh, Thanks again to David Hale of ESPN for joining us. Uh, David will be back with us next time. David was awesome. Yeah, he was. He was. And we get to see him again because he will be with us in the next episode when we all huddle, sorry, uh, to talk about the best all-time college head coaches. So that'll be another pretty good list, I'm sure. As we continue our big month on college football. That's right. So everybody, thank you for a great
1: 2020. Uh, We're just getting started on 2021. I think we've got some really fun topics to talk about, starting with this first kind of superset that we're doing on college football. So thank you for making uh, Populous part of your podcasting experience. Uh, We're available at Apple, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, and wherever great podcasts are available.
0: Yep. And of course, as always, uh, we are part of the Buzzsprout community and you can find us on our own website at www.populistpodcast.net. That's an important thing. Check out, check us out. You can find out about old episodes. You can find out more about us. And the most important thing is you can go there and vote on the poll for the next episode. And that poll will be up uh, as soon as you hear this broadcast. Uh, So please vote. We love it when you do it. We're also on Facebook at Populist Podcast and Twitter at Populist underscore pod. So look those up, follow us, and keep turning to the show. We love it when you do. Thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Stay healthy, still safe. Bye-bye, everybody. Whoops. You're a nutley.